You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Real quick, before we jump into our, our message today, I'm really looking forward to our series we're kicking off next week. I've been looking forward to this for months. And uh, we're calling this series four, as you saw there on the video. So often, um, we've become known, especially as Christians, for all the things we're against, the things that we hate and the things that we don't like. And I believe that it's time that we start to rise up as a church, and at least in our, our corner of the world, that we could start to rally uh, the, 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 the call and the challenge for the things that we're for, not the things that we're against. So throughout the month of November, of, of November, of February, I'm way behind. Um, throughout the month of, of February, we're going to be talking about the things that we're ultimately for. Next week, we're going to be talking about that we're for you. We want to see you grow. We want to see you fulfill your potential in God. That we're for you. But we're also for, the next week we're going to talk about we're for us. It's not just about you, it's about us. That we are part of a community that we are part of a community of faith, and it's us working together. The week after that, we're going to talk about we're for them. Uh, you know, sometimes the church can become very closed, that it's just about us. It's like our little insiders club. That's not what we're about. We're for them. We're for those that are different than us, those that are outside our walls, those that maybe look or talk different than us. We are for them, and we're for, for him, ultimately, for what God wants, for his kingdom, to advance his kingdom. And uh, when you came in this morning, you should have received a, uh, a little postcard. And I want to encourage you to take that. That's not for you. Um, I want to encourage you to take that and invite someone. Maybe you, you know someone that's been jaded by the church. And maybe the, the voices of well, all the things that the church capital C is against have become uh, more loud than the things that we're for. Invite that person. Invite that neighbor, coworker, whoever it might be to church this next month. And let them see there's another side. It's not about what we're against. It's about what we're for, what we can do together collectively. And uh, I'm excited to see what God's going to do next month as we walk through that series. Now, some of you might know this about me, but uh, I can be a pretty passionate person. Um, I, I get excited about things, like things in our church, uh, things in, in sports. I love sports. I get excited about my family. I, I can sometimes be uh, uh, excitable, excitable. Growing up, this, unfortunately, would get me in trouble when I'm playing sports. Um, I'm super competitive, hate to lose, and God placed me at Derry School District where we lost a lot. Um, it was like God's way of, of helping me. I remember uh, in ninth grade, we didn't win, or in eighth grade, we didn't win a single basketball game the whole season. It was really difficult. It was miserable. As I've aged, though, I've gotten a little bit better at letting my emotions, not letting my emotions get the best of me. Um, but I still remember uh, this one tournament, our youth group from our church, we were playing this, this volleyball tournament in Monroeville, and we, I felt like we had a real chance to win the whole tournament. I was super excited about it, and uh, I remember one match, one, one of the games we're in, one of the guys from our, from our youth group, he missed a hit, and he just kind of sloughed it off, was like, hey, it's just a game, no big deal, and I turned to him and said, it is not just a game, we're here to win, don't... <laughs> Don't just say it's just a game. And I would get so fired up when, when people would do that. Uh, are you passionate about anything in your life? Do you get fired up about things? Maybe, maybe it's a sports team. Maybe it's a hobby you have or your kids, your job. Maybe you love 
couponing or shopping, or, or maybe you love, you're passionate about your yard and making sure the grass and everything is just right or perfect. Maybe it's your pets. Maybe you're like me and it's Taco Bell and you could just talk for hours about Taco Bell. Um, or my favorite, the, the rich man's Taco Bell, Chipotle, is awesome. Um, we can be passionate about so many things, can't we? We get excited about things. Uh, maybe for you, you're not a real excitable person. That's okay. Emotions are part of who we are. It's part of our makeup as human beings. They're part of our lives. Some of us might be more emotional than others, but the truth is our emotions impact every part of our lives. Whether, whether those emotions are visible or not, you might be the type of person that's very stoic. There's still emotions in there. That's because we were created by God as emotional beings. It's how we were formed, how we were shaped. You see, it's very human to feel. We cry, we cheer, we get frustrated, we get excited. Sometimes we're discouraged, sometimes we're anxious. Other times we feel incredibly satisfied. It is human to feel. Emotions are not meant to be suppressed. They are part of the fabric of our lives, part of how God so fearfully and wonderfully has made each and every one of us. Maybe for you, when you began this journey of following Jesus, you were told from the beginning, hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to check your emotion card at the door. This isn't part of it. You should not be impacted by your emotions. And, and I want you to know that couldn't be further from the truth. Especially when we're talking about following Jesus, who, who very, very well documented throughout Scripture, had emotions. You know, Jesus wept. He got angry. He, he was discouraged. He, he sometimes uh, celebrated. He mourned. Jesus had emotions because Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. One of the major examples, illustrations of Christ's humanity is the fact that he had emotion, that he felt. He felt the emotion of a moment, the weight of a decision, the difficulties sitting before him. It's natural for us to feel and to have emotions. Just think about this. For those of you with kids, one of the first indicators we have for determining that our kids aren't feeling well or sick is their emotions, right? Oh, they're not acting like themselves. Usually they'd be excited about this. I just put like, you know, candy in front of them and they just sat there and stared at it. Um, whatever it might be, their emotions are oftentimes an indicator when they're not there that something's not right. Because it's part of being human. And the same is true for you and me. Our emotions are indicator of what's happening deeper because emotions are a part of our humanity. So, so God never intended for any of us to suppress our emotions. After all, he created us with them. Maybe he blessed some of us with a little bit more than others. Um, maybe you have an extra dose of emotions and that's cool. Either way, emotions are part of us. And, and throughout this month, We've been talking about this idea of breakthrough, that, that God wants breakthrough in our lives. And I believe so deeply that 2020 is going to be an incredible year of, of, of breakthrough, a banner year for so many in our church. Not because it's just a cool sounding year, but because we're going to be intentional this year about not giving in or settling, but about pursuing change and breakthrough in our lives. Uh, if you haven't been with us all month, the first week we talked about the idea that Change, nothing will change if nothing changes. If you're going to see change happen in your life, something has to change in the equation. The next week we talked about that breakthrough happens as we cherish the cross. 
Last week, we looked at the idea that truth brings victory, deception brings defeat. And, and as we're pursuing this breakthrough and seeing transformation in our lives, if, if you want 2020 to be different than 2019 or, or the decades previous, the one final component that we have to be aware of is being aware of our emotions. Because they are part of our fabric. They are part of our lives. Breakthrough, though, isn't going to last if we aren't aware of our emotions. Sure, you might experience a momentary breakthrough, but your emotions will eventually lie to you, and you'll find yourself reverting back, going backwards. See, emotions are an important part of who we are and how we live our lives, but oftentimes they play the wrong role. They're sitting in the wrong seat in our lives. For many of us, emotions sit firmly in the driver's seat. Wherever they go, we go. Whatever they do, we do. We allow emotions to drive us. While God created us with emotions, they were never meant to be in the driver's seat. They're important, but they're not. They're also incredibly inconsistent. Emotions sometimes can lie to you. They're not reliable. Emotions are a great fuel, but they're a horrible, horrible guide. You understand this. You can wake up and your hair looks bad and you're, you're, you're a mess. You're like, I'm frustrated now. This is going to be a bad day. Or you can wake up and you realize the Steelers somehow pulled out that, you know, overtime win. And you're like really excited. Something that little. Because our emotions can be very subjective. Emotions are great at compelling you forward and moving you toward action. But they are not good at sustaining that action. Because just as something can get you excited and make you act upon it, in the same way something can get you discouraged and cause you to do nothing. That's why emotions are a good fuel. But sometimes, all the time, we need something more consistent to guide us. And it's our convictions. Our convictions. Our convictions become constant. See, convictions are a very good driver. Emotions might be a good fuel, but convictions are a good driver. I want to give you an example. In In the life of a young man, uh, we see his life is recorded in Scripture in the first part of the Bible known as the Old Testament. His name is Daniel. And Daniel is a, an amazing young man. In fact, at about the age of 17 or 18, he was living in the city of Jerusalem. He was one of those up-and-coming leaders. He was like the best of the best. Everything he touched was going well. Everything was coming together. He, he, ha- he was going places. And about that age... The Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, invaded Jerusalem, destroyed it, and they took the cream of the crop, like the best leaders in Jerusalem. They exiled them, took them to Babylon to to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian way and really to utilize them throughout the empire. So their goal was, we just invaded Jerusalem. We're going to take the best young leaders. We're going to relocate them to Babylon, teach them our ways, and then disperse them throughout our empire to lead effectively. And Daniel was one of those. And in the opening chapter of the book of Daniel, in the, in the Old Testament, we read about the painful transition and the Babylonians' attempt to enculture Daniel. Here's what it says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites 
from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, if you think about it, it sounds like a pretty good deal. They're getting educated from some of the best, best educators in the world. They're they're getting to live in the king's quarters. I mean, cushy, cushy stuff. They're getting some of the best food from the king's table. Like, everything seems good. It was difficult for Daniel and his friends to be relocated, but man, they landed well. Everything seems to be working out, working out really well. The problem was the food they offered conflicted with what Daniel had vowed not to eat as a Jewish man. He was faced with the reality of a difficult decision, a really difficult decision. Have you ever faced difficult decisions? We, we face them all the time. The older you get sometimes, the more difficult they become. I think of the most difficult that we face oftentimes isn't the decision between something that's good and something that's bad. I think those generally are understandable and easier for us to, to translate. Like, do I steal this or do I not steal this? That person left their car running with the keys in it. Do I get in there, drive away, or do I walk past it? You know, generally, those are easy decisions. I hope for you, those are easy decisions. If they aren't, let me know so I can be aware uh, when you're around. But those are generally easy decisions, right? The hard, difficult decisions or when we're choosing between good and great. Like, this is good, but this is great. We face difficult decisions. Daniel, in this moment, was facing a really difficult decision. See, it's incredibly flattering and fulfilling to be handpicked by the king of the largest empire in the known world. In those situations, when you're handpicked to serve on his leadership team, In those moments, you do whatever they ask you to do because of the prestige of the role. You don't want to lose that. You do whatever they ask you to do. But Daniel, Daniel had a very, very different view of this. His perspective wasn't driven by his emotions or what felt right, but rather by his convictions based on what he knew to be right. See, our feelings sometimes can lie to us. In fact, here's what it says in verse 8 of Daniel 1. Later that chapter, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the, guard, to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please, tell, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed and tested him for 10 days. Now this was incredibly wise on Daniel's part. I mean, incredibly wise, especially for such a young man. When, when, when we make a decision based on our convictions, there are almost always those around us 
that are viewing that situation from a different angle. And they're going to question us. They're going to say, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do that? Like, like in your workplace, there's an opportunity for you to kind of twist the truth a little bit in your favor. And, and your coworker knows it and, and, and everyone's doing it so it's understandable and you can just twist it and, and it will help you get further along in your career and your job. And, but you have this conviction that, hey, I want to be a person of truth. I want to live in, with integrity. And, and no one would fault you for twisting the truth to advance your career and your job. There's something inside of you that's like, that's not right. And your coworkers are like, you're an idiot. Why wouldn't you do that? Everyone does it. These are moments where we're, we're faced with the conflict, the tension inside of us between what we feel and what we know to be right. It's the conflict between our, our emotions and our convictions. And, and if we're going to see breakthrough, we're going to see progress, transformation in our lives, we have to be aware of that tension. Because if we don't look at that tension or aren't aware or give some attention to that tension, we're going to find ourselves continuing down the same path we've always gone. Because our emotions will become this destructive cycle. Now this, was, this is what Daniel decided. He decided uh, he's going to try this test for 10 days. And this is really smart because the, the guy, the official who was over him could lose his life over this. Uh, he truly received some favor because for this guy to step out to believe in Daniel enough to let him do this, knowing his life could be on the line, was a pretty remarkable thing. But Daniel said, hey, just 10 days. Give us 10 days. I'm not asking forever. Just give us 10 days. And so that's uh, what, what takes place. And when, when, we're, when we're following our convictions, sometimes it's not going to be easy. So, so here's the question. What, what's the result? Yeah, that was a really cool thing for Daniel to do, but did everything crash and burn? What took place? Here's what happens in verse 18. It says, At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Wow, God set them up. You see, breakthrough happens when we live by our convictions, not by our emotions. Daniel could have just gone the way of everybody else, and he'd just be another one of the pack. But as he lived by his convictions, he rose to the top, to the surface, Now, this is a cool story of how someone listened to their convictions and got ahead in life. And we could stop there and, you know, be done. But but this isn't an isolated situation in Daniel's life. In fact, about 60 years later, there's another story, another moment where Daniel's convictions rose to the surface. Daniel is now about uh, somewhere in his early 80s. Uh, that the Babylonians have been invaded and conquered by the Mede and Persian Empire. King Darius is now the king of this new empire. Daniel is now serving a new king. And uh, Daniel's reputation preceded him. What Nebuchadnezzar discovered, King Darius now knows as a well-known fact across the empire. Daniel is one of the great leaders in the empire. He's one of the best. In fact, uh, we see in in Daniel chapter 6, that uh, in verse 3, it says that now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom, the whole kingdom. Wow, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, Daniel was very well respected. The problem is all the other officials around him were jealous of him. 
Like, why is he getting all this favor? Why, why does he get this opportunity, these positions? It's because he lived by his convictions. But they didn't understand that. They looked and looked and tried to find corruption in Daniel that they could catch him. Like, one little thing that he did wrong, and they could jump on it and, and exploit it to get him out of that role, out of that position, out of uh, the favor with the king. They couldn't find anything. They found nothing. But they knew Daniel was a man of conviction. Three times a day, Daniel would go to his home and pray. It was an integral part of Daniel's life. So they went, these officials went to the king, King Darius, and convinced him to issue this edict across the, the, the Mede Empire. And the edict said that everyone was to pray to King Darius, to pray to him. And, and if anyone didn't pray to someone else, they could be uh, imprisoned or, or worse, killed. And uh, as they issue this edict, Daniel gets word of this new edict and he immediately goes home, as he had done many times before, went upstairs into his room, opened the windows and prayed toward Jerusalem. As he would do three times a day, consistently through most of his life. These officials went to Daniel's home and caught him praying against, contrary to the edict that had been issued by King Darius. They have him arrested and brought before the king and the king now realizes he's been tricked. One of his best leaders, his top leaders, is now arrested. And the sentence for breaking this edict was death. Not death like immediately, but you'd be thrown into a cave of, of, of hungry lions. It's a gruesome, painful death. King Darius has no other way out, so he has to follow through with the edict that he had issued. They take Daniel, chained up, throw him into a cave full of hungry lions. They put a stone over the front of the cave to seal it, and King Darius goes home and just hopes and prays that something crazy might happen and Daniel could survive. The next morning, King Darius comes to the to, the, uh, to the, the cave. And here's what takes place. As he walks up to the cave, he has the stone rolled back, unsealed. And it says in verse 20 of Daniel 6, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. This is a remarkable miracle. But, but I want you to understand, this isn't a miracle that happened in a moment. This happened over Daniel's lifetime. His consistency. Not because he was led by his emotions. Not that he suppressed his emotions but that he was led by his convictions. And, and, and the result of this, not only was Daniel still one of the most distinguished of all the leaders in the empire, but King Darius issues a new, new edict uh, concerning Daniel's God. Here's what it says in verse 25. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His God will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. See, breakthrough happens when we live by our convictions, not our feelings. 
in, in your life, in, in what you face in life, what you walk through. You're not going to see breakthrough in your job, in your family, in your personal life, in your relationships, if you allow emotions to be in the driver's seat. But when you can live by your convictions, I promise you, especially in the workplace, you will find yourself rising head and shoulders above those around you because it's different. It's healthier. You're not all over the place. There's a consistency to you. There's something healthy about it. And as we close out this series this month, my question for you is, what is the breakthrough you're praying for, hoping for, longing to see happen in your life this year? I can't wait to be standing up here at the end of this year in December, celebrating the stories of transformation that will happen throughout this church. But that won't happen if we allow emotions to drive our lives. You may start off the year strong and beginning the year and things are, are moving along, but to sustain it through this year and the years to come, you have to allow your life to be driven by convictions. By, by the things you know to be true, not the things you feel to be true. So how do we identify what our convictions are? That's a big question. Like, well, how do I even know what my convictions are? Convictions are based on scripture. Emotions are based on circumstances. Your convictions are informed as you open God's word and read it. As you spend time in prayer, as Daniel did. Your convictions become informed in those moments. We, we've been talking about this book all month. It's called 100 Days of Faith Over Fear. It's nothing remarkable. It's, it's a devotional journal. The reason we've been talking about this isn't to give you something more to do, but because I know that, that, that your convictions are informed as you dive into God's word, as you walk through it, as you process it. And, and when you take time every day to read God's word, to digest it, it allows you to have well-informed convictions that guide your life with a very healthy level of consistency. There's something healthy that happens. Maybe you're not the type to go through a devotional journal. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you'd, you'd work better with like a, an app on your phone or something. There, there are apps available. Version Bible app is an excellent one where you can go through a reading plan. It could be five days or, or 40 days, all different topics. If, you don't, if you've never done that, try it. Pull out your, your phone, find the Version Bible app, download it, pick a reading plan. You can even do it with a group of people where you can interact. It's a great thing. Another app uh, that, that is really good that I've really enjoyed personally is a Dwell. It's called Dwell. Uh, it basically allows you to go through reading plans where there's a voice, someone reading scripture to you with music behind it. And you can just sit there and meditate on God's word. It's really powerful. Whatever works for you, I want to challenge you, if you're going to live your life by convictions, not based on your emotions, it starts with putting consistency in your life, informing your convictions, taking time to open God's word. Like the Bible isn't meant to just be opened on Sunday. It's not just being opened once a week. Like start reading through the, the, the Bible. It's not some religious book that's disconnected from life. I promise you, so many of the struggles and things you face you see people face in scripture. You see wisdom and promises of God throughout scripture that help you walk through it. Don't just sit it on a shelf and don't pick it up or, or, or have the app in a folder that you never open. Take time to dive into God's word, whatever way or approach works best for you. Because breakthrough happens when we live by our convictions, not by our emotions. As the worship team comes this morning, I wanna challenge you today as we step into February here, 
February is going to be coming this week. It's crazy. It's already going to be February. I don't know what changes you're hoping to see happen. If you've made it this far, that's awesome. But my hope for you isn't to have momentary change. My hope for you isn't that you live a roller coaster ride the rest of your life. My hope for you is that your life could, could model Daniel's. Whether he was 17 or 18 or 82, he was an incredible example of consistency. Not because he was a rigid person, not because he was a boring person, not because he had no emotions and he was just stoic all the time. You can read in the, the stories there in Daniel. He got excited. He, he had emotions. But he recognized that, that life was better when it was guided, led by his convictions, fueled by his emotions. I want to challenge you today to take the time to be intentional. Don't just wish for it or hope for it, but you have to be really intentional about informing your convictions. One of the greatest things you could do to achieve your goals of change, transformation, and breakthrough is to be intentional about putting the time in to open God's word, to pray. Just talk to God. Share what's in your heart. Maybe you read a few verses of scripture and then you talk to God about it. Like, God, I didn't like that verse. God, that, that doesn't, that, that frustrates me. Talk to him about it. Or God, man, I really needed that. What, what I'm facing today, that's exactly what I needed. Whatever it might be, open God's word. Read through it. Pray about it. Maybe even you take a step further and you include other people in that conversation. You talk to other people. That's why we have groups so you can talk to other people about God's word. Because as you inform your convictions, breakthrough can happen. See, breakthrough isn't just something you come to an altar and people pray for you and you're like, I'm free, everything's good, I'm gonna go back and everything's gonna be better. There are actually steps, practical steps you have to take to see that lived out, to see that become a reality. And when you can inform your convictions, when you can take time to open God's word and to pray, breakthrough, I promise you, breakthrough will happen in your life because your convictions can guide you. Your emotions can fuel you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you even thousands of years after so many inspired men and women wrote out what we know today as the Bible. Your word is still living and breathing. It's active, speaking to our struggles, our existence, our life today. God, I pray in 2020, God, that this isn't just another year to go through the motions, just another year to exist and to survive our job, our career, our family, our circumstances. But God, this is a year where we live out the fact that we are more than conquerors, that we become overcomers, that we see breakthrough in our lives, not accidentally, not that we just stumble into, but God, that we intentionally take the time to transform ourselves from the inside out. We open your words. We spend time in prayer. As we live out those convictions that you speak to us and challenge us with. God, I pray that you would help each of us in our jobs this week to live out our convictions, not our emotions, not what feels right, but what we know to be true. Lord, let us live with integrity. God, in our schools, in our homes, in our interactions with others, God, let us respond to what life throws our way not with emotion, but with conviction. 
God, let us not suppress those emotions because you gave them to us, but let us live our lives with well-informed, biblically-centered convictions. I thank you, God, for what you're gonna do. God, I thank you for what you're gonna do tomorrow in our workplaces, in our schools, what you're gonna do, Lord, throughout this week, the incredible things you're gonna accomplish through us as we show your love to those we encounter, as we model grace to those we come across. God, bring us back next Sunday, ready, Lord, to dive into your word, ready to worship you together, ready to see what God can do with a people fully surrendered to him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Remember, next week, we're kicking off a new series called Four. Invite a friend. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week, and uh, can't wait to see you next Sunday. God bless you guys. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.